0: Hello and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. I'm Sam Hyde and I'm joined as always by Toby Pisever. Uh I've been losing my voice this week so uh, we're going to see how long that lasts out. Uh, it's been a really, really busy week of Premier League football. There's been a lot to catch up on and we're going to touch on the Champions League a little bit at the end as well I think. Toby, it's been an exciting week. What have you made of it?
1: Yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot going on in the Premier League. So much that we might have to drag this out for three hours and really... Uh put your put your voice through it mate to be honest so uh strap in for a long one because it's going to be quite the ride it's goals galore um and it has been a bit because there were three games on Monday it all just feels quite stretched out it was like a long obviously bank holiday weekend um quite a long drawn out Premier League match day week and not very high score in the FBL. that's how you know it's been an interesting one
0: Okay, so there's been two Arsenal matches since uh, we last recorded this. Um, First game, Arsenal beat Chelsea 3-1, which was pretty cool. Arsenal uh, coming off four games without a win after losing to Man City, beat Chelsea.
1: No better game after four games without a win than uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea, I'd argue. Especially in the way that they sat in a mid-block, but... uh, decided to be the most passive team ever and just put oh it was so fr- I actually voice noted you after the first goal I'm pretty sure because I was so infuriated
0: by what Chelsea were doing. It was quite obviously bad defending on on their goals. Um but I think we're going to talk about uh Arsenal's win against Newcastle a bit more.
1: Yeah, can we quickly go to the Chelsea game though actually because I've remembered it now.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I I I mean, most people probably won't remember it at all because it was more than one game ago. For reminders, uh, yeah, remind us. it's
1: tough to it's tough to catch up. Well, uh, initially, Chelsea pressed in a four four two. Well, they they sat in. A, I think pressed is the wrong term, but they sat in like a four four two mid block with Kante going up alongside uh, a Bamian.
0: It must have been in the first half. Yeah, but he had like nine touches, didn't he? And Three, yeah. A lot there were kickoffs, they said.
1: And so he tucked the two wingers in because he what he had Mudrick and Noni Madweke either side of Abamyang, right? But their off-ball shape was Kante advanced, so it was a four four two mid block, Kante advanced and joining the front line alongside Abamyang, which I don't actually hate as an idea because if anyone, you know, has got has stereotypically got the legs to to go and squeeze high and also recover in. Um, it's him, but it meant that Madueke and Mudrik were left defending wide spaces, which I don't think they did very well, and were just the the shape was picked off so easily, so frequently, so early by Arsenal, um, where you know if you are going to sit bodies behind the ball and not go in instigate a press and, and force play then you have to just be denying passes into those players between the lines your early guards you know even just picking it picking up between the sort of front line and the and the midfield four and then firing it beyond the next line into sort of early and and Martinelli and Saka and I just thought they were so poor and it just looked like real coaching issues um you know, to be set up in that shape and then not have a clear understanding of when to close down and, and what late passing lanes to sort of uh, to screen and and cover. And and it's not to say that Arsenal weren't playing well; they were. But
0: yeah, like well, I wanted to talk about this passing through the lines actually, uh, because this is something Arsenal have done really well in the start of the season, and then during the tough run that they've had recently, has diminished a bit. And then against Newcastle as well, we saw it come back. And I think something that's really helped that, as well as playing against Chelsea, is that uh, Arteta has brought in Kivior and Jorginho for Rob Holding and Partey. Uh, Obviously, Rob Holding has limitations as a defender. I think he's pretty good as a defender and would do well at a lower league team that isn't trying to pass out from the back. Um, But playing someone as... And experiences Kivior, who I think had won, who I think had only one start, uh, which was in the Europa League before he started against Chelsea. Uh, he's played really well these last two games. He's looked really good on the ball, which is the main thing. And then having Jorginho in there, who th- there's been questions about if he's quick enough for the Premier League still, but he's he's quick in his brain. He can position himself really well. And uh, coming a bit deeper and sort of uh, the the way he's been linking Arsenal's play has been much better than Partey, who has been really, really out of form and really sloppy with his passing recently. So
1: I think Jorginho, like you said, quick in the mind and also an intelligent player who has that understanding of how to pierce through a team's defensive shape, maybe, you know, I was certainly questioning his the the signing a bit um just thinking how arsenal play is he sort of robust enough to do the off the out of possession stuff but it's kind of the same with kivior and the the rob holding thing of sort of like you know you you might not trust these players as much defensively for uh, than than who they came in for but if you're if your shape and structure is, is dominant enough that you're going to mostly have the ball, then do you need to be good at defending if you're never defending? Yes, it's the answer. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, yeah, but if, if you're having the ball, that's a, a way of defending as well, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, it's like trying to... At, at Liverpool, right? When when we're, when we're playing in a pressing structure that no one can break out of, he gets to have the ball all the time, so he's great. But if he if he doesn't, and we're being dominated, and the, the the teams are getting at him. Then, yeah, it's it's complete liability. Um, sorry, maybe there's a Liverpool reference. Claxon that's just gone off somewhere. Timing, how long it take me?
0: It did go on in my mind. It yep. was it was a shock. It came out of nowhere. I'll leave it now, then. <laughs> uh, Arteta making these two changes. Uh, it's something I've I mentioned before. Is uh, I would have liked to have seen changes from Arteta's team, last week I mentioned that, um, sometimes he seems to stick with an 11 that he trusts, um, but it reminded me of uh, earlier in the season when Arsenal's last kind of slightly slight dip in form was, uh, which is when Jesus was injured and, and Ketty came in, Uh, Enketia started really well and then uh, after three or four games there was a bit of a drop off in Arsenal attacking Um, that happened for a couple of games and then Arteta brought in Trossard to play like a false nine instead and then suddenly Arsenal's attack clicks again because it's going back to uh, what we were doing when Jesus was fit and I think bringing Kivio in uh, instead of holding uh, it feels kind of similar and that is closer to how he would be with Saliba. So, um, yeah, choosing system over players, I think, has, has worked well for Arteta when he's made the changes.
1: Yeah, do we know how long Saliba's still out for? Are you seeing Kivy <laughs>
0: uh stay in? The rest of the season, it's looking like... like there's always been this uh, kind of looming cloud that Saliba could be out for the whole season. I think the initial assessment was that and Arsenal rejected it and went to a different you know they got a second opinion basically and that looked a bit more positive um, but yeah every week it's being like oh we think Saliba could be back soon and then he never is so um,
1: so you're telling me I should put I should put kivu into my FPL
0: he's uh, he's a 4.0 I think Kivio so that's what uh, I'm thinking it's, it's a pretty good show. he played well he's played well defensively as well did you know apparently he is the fastest ever player at Arsenal?
1: Fastest ever.
0: Yeah. there was like I saw these reports talking about like the uh the bleep test and all that and uh uh Kivior is faster than anyone Arsenal have ever had. Uh I think it was Bayerin was the last fastest who broke Walcott's record. So yeah, I was uh, gonna
1: say Walcott, but yeah it was Bayern. Okay. So he's quick.
0: Yeah. And he's young. He's
1: quick and he's young. It's pretty nice. He can go straight That's into my like. fantasy them.
0: It's been quite an interesting mood about around Arsenal recently, which I want to talk about. Uh, because on the on the first bank holiday of this month, I was walking around centre of London, and this was before the Chelsea game. Um, and I think you can kind of get sucked into a lot of the discussion on social media, and Arsenal fans can be quite negative on these places, like with the immediate reactions after the game. Um, so I was quite shocked, and well, not shocked, I was pleasantly surprised walking around London and virtually all of the football shirts I was seeing people wearing were Arsenal shirts. And this is in the wake of the Man City game. And I think it was quite a nice refresher for me to actually get out into the world and see that to the to the normal person, they're still like really happy with Arsenal. There's no shame exactly because yeah when I read it online I would think like that those Arsenal shirts would disappear maybe a bit because that's kind of like how I felt it was like everyone online was coming coming for Arsenal there's all things about like Arsenal how many days they were top of the league and this sort of stuff going around and um, yeah I think seeing that and then seeing the next two games I think Arsenal can be really positive going into next season still yeah, we have to still look big picture, don't we? Yeah, and I think this Newcastle result was like a really big uh, affirmation of that because Newcastle, are, you know, all season they've been like third or fourth, haven't they? Um, this was a really big game. One of Arsenal's biggest results of the season. And uh, to come away 2-0 and looking like they're playing pretty well. Um, it, it was, It was good to see that the morale of everyone didn't slip because there was a bit of a worry that the season would just kind of crash and burn and Arsenal would settle for second.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, after a blip and obviously the devastating result to City, there's no one really better that you can beat than, than third place considering your second year lost to first. And all you can do is win games and put pressure on City. And look, they've got games with Real Madrid midweek. You, you just never know.
0: Yeah, you never know, and I remember a few weeks ago I was saying, uh, I think this was after the Liverpool game, when Arsenal started dropping points, Uh, when when Arsenal lost to Liverpool, their points total was higher than any Man City team in the Premier League, apart from the Centurions. At that point in the season, I said that Man City wouldn't win all their games until the end of the season, which would be a 14-game winning run. Since that point, they've won every single game. Uh, so it looks like it's it's possible <laughs> that they, they actually could do that. But you never know. They could drop points. Uh, so we've just got to like, try and stay in it. And uh, if Arsenal end up coming second, like it looks like they will, uh, it's been a, a, an incredible second half of the season by City, you, you'd have to say.
1: Yeah, and still a fantastic uh, season for Arsenal and you secure top 4 and you can go and build on from there and and it's a young team we've mentioned that many times but uh the future is clearly bright it may hurt now or you might already be over it i don't know probably not but
0: no i feel, i feel fine <laughs> it was it, it's positive future. to see this game because it was so uh so intense as well the game against newcastle uh probably the most violent team arsenal played this season Um, It's funny because I I wrote on the plan After the Chelsea game uh, How good the referee was It was Rob Jones in the Chelsea game Uh, I think his first Arsenal game was This season against Southampton I think he's quite a new ref And uh, I thought he was absolutely terrible in that game So I was quite pleased to see that he's Seemingly improved And had what I thought was A nearly flawless refereeing performance uh, I'm saying this because last week we just spoke about referees for Yeah, yeah, we've got to give podcast.
1: some positive back as well. We can't just be seen as, you know, the haters.
0: But, uh, uh saying that against Newcastle, I thought Graham, uh, not Graham Kavanagh, but what? C- Chris Kavanagh. Yeah, God. Graham Kavanagh would be a, a good referee, I think. Um... Yeah, I thought the refereeing was atrocious against this game. Like some of the tackles going in, straight
1: back into the hate. It was a very late first yellow card as well, basically, wasn't it? I saw that. I...
0: Yeah, so. well, we, you see this all the, all the time, like uh, where referees don't give yellow cards until the seventieth minute, uh, and it's like, well, what's the point of a yellow card in that in that case? Like some of the challenges were. The orange cards I would say from Newcastle and just didn't get booked at all uh Fabian Scher share uh was very very late on Granite jacker in sort of part through the first half I think it was and you can see that um Graham Kavanaugh is not seen it at all because he's watching where the ball is going uh but that kind of illustrates how late the challenge was from share that the the ball is gone the referee is looking at the ball instead of the players and uh just totally misses a, a really, really late slide sliding challenge. And um yeah, they targeted Shaka a lot physically. Um, you know, he was getting a lot of flack from the crowd for going down all the time, but it was because he was being targeted so much from from everyone, whether it was Gimmaresh or uh Joel Inton as well. Um yeah, he he got a lot of beatings. But yeah, it was nice to see Arsenal win in that environment when it's it's so hostile.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the it's the the test, isn't it? It's the, it's a big test. It's a big test. James's Park, physical, aggressive, end to end, direct, and um, I think I th- thought it was very impressive to come out of a clean sheet as well. To be honest, um, yeah. Just quickly, just quickly, would you want to hear a little stat? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Kind of related to Newcastle, kind of related to referees being bad. And most definitely related to Liverpool, because everything has to be. Um, The average delay before goal kicks in the Premier League Newcastle are top with 36.8 seconds. Then it's Everton 33.1, Brentford 32.9, and so on. Um, Addison was booked after 28 seconds on Saturday. Not sure that'll make it in or not, but... uh,
0: It sounds a lot. I don't know if it is, though. It's probably like... Well, I think the
1: thing on that as well is that it doesn't really tell you much about... It doesn't, you know, delay before goal kick doesn't tell you how much was actively done by the keeper, you know? Yeah, yeah. A few good seconds before, but I don't know. We know that Newcastle are essentially... Eddie Howe seems to like Simeone. Let's just say, let's leave it at that. The Dark Arts—they're—they're they're showing that they're very capable to meddle in them.
0: Um, I I did see a, a I did see a stat which I don't have written down, so it's from my mind. So I don't know the numbers. Is is the point? Um, but it, it was the stats for how long the ball is in play in games for teams this season. Yes, I've seen this as well. Yeah. Only Leeds had the ball in play for less time than Newcastle this season.
1: Yeah, so there's certainly some housery going on up in the up in the northeast.
0: Yeah, I was surprised because I've not watched Newcastle for a while actually. Uh I watched them a lot in the start of the season, but not recently. And uh yeah, there was a lot of it going on. And um it was annoying that there were no yellow cards even though like Cher just deliberately throws his elbow basically into Jesus's face and the referee like doesn't really care. There was a you know there was all sorts from the Newcastle defenders just going in, in on 50-50s. In
1: terms of Newcastle then, do, do we think that the I mean top 4 is obviously in the balance. There's not many games left. They are 3 points clear of Liverpool um with a game in hand. There is a clear chance that Liverpool could nick a place. We have to be perfect and other teams have to slip up. What do you think in that term, in that sort of race? It's obviously Newcastle and United the two that could drop out. Um, do you want to hear the run-ins first? Sure. So Newcastle sitting in third played 34, 65 points. They have Leeds away then Brighton at home then Leicester at home then Chelsea away. Okay. pretty good so pretty nice fixtures obviously apart from the Brighton game but even that is at home um, and then they do have to go to Chelsea away at the end of the season and you really don't know what you're going to get with them but I would assume that they could they could beat them so you, you're taking well and we don't know what to expect from Leeds under Allardyce now but surely he can't do anything miraculous
0: I watched the first 30 minutes of Leeds against City and they did turn it round in the second half a bit I think but uh, yeah they were like not in the game at all in the first half it was a surprising game from Holland because he was uh, missing a lot (laughs) a lot of chances he missed in the first half but what do you see
1: Newcastle taking from those four Leeds a win
0: yeah I think they'll beat Leeds
1: three points maybe draw at home to Brighton
0: I think they beat Brighton.
1: You think they beat Brighton, but they beat Leicester.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and then Chelsea Uh, um, draw. Is it? Yeah, let's go draw. I think I think Newcastle are are gonna. They're gonna be
1: fine with top four. Then United, one point ahead of Liverpool, but with a game in hand. Their running is Wolves at home, which isn't an easy game. United's problem is they're missing Lissandro Martinez really
0: and Varane uh,
1: amongst others but then Bournemouth away uh, Chelsea at home Fulham at home so they might be okay sadly as well
0: yeah Wolves are hard to judge because they lost 6-0 quite recently to Brighton Uh, but I think yeah I think they're a good team I think Newcastle have the better chance of staying in the top four Dan United do
1: and then Liverpool if you want to hear the run in three games left to play it is Leicester away Villa at home Southampton away so of the games you, the, the Villa one is the one you want at home but it's obviously not straightforward you'd like to think that Southampton are already relegated on the final day anyway um, and Leicester should be should be three points
0: it could be nine points the thing is with like looking at fixtures as well is that if you remember Arsenal at the start of the season, everyone was saying like Arsenal are just beating the easy teams. But the, the point of it is is that it's the consistency through all of those games. And uh, at the end of the season, it is really important to be consistent. And everyone's fighting for different things. Um, so at this point of the season, it is a little bit like anything can happen. Uh, I... Uh, my kind of gut says that Man United will actually drop out to Liverpool just because I think Liverpool's momentum and United's momentum are a bit opposite at the moment. But uh, they are. I think that, I think that extra game for United is a big uh, a big safety cushion for them.
1: It's a bit of a get out of jail card, isn't it? Really, um, because I don't think they're going to pick up maximum points.
0: <laughs> it's like you we are saying with Chelsea as well. Like how many extra games would Chelsea need to be in relegation trouble. Uh I think the season is just short enough that everyone might just be staying where they are for now until next season.
1: And then it all starts again. Okay, I I I've got a feeling Liverpool are going to do it, but then I would, wouldn't I? It just feels right. Well it's like what you said about the form, realistically. It's it purely just comes down to that. United, two one nil defeats. I just think I think the the heads might be gone a little bit. The De Gea incident. I mean we can talk about the West Ham game now to be to be honest. It's probably the best time to. I just think there's some there's some issues there that have maybe been brewing throughout the season but have been papered over by certain new signings and uh, and things like that, and, and good patches of form. Rashford's purple patch. Um, the fact that Maguire's not had to play, you know, that now that they're playing Shaw at centre back. Um, you know, I think there are some there are some issues there. We'll, whether they limp over the line or not, we'll, we'll find out. Um, but in that West Ham game, that 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 De Gea howler is just is just criminal, um, and. I think we mentioned it before but when you when you're chasing when you're so used to chasing down the league title from Man City you know draws feel like losses the top 4 it's it's a different it's a different kettle of fish obviously because if not, you'd be up at the top but you know they will drop points your the teams that you're fighting with to get top 4 and Liverpool are just capable of going on a run and, and they've you know six wins in a row and I, I can see that continuing towards the end of the season now that like anything can happen he could be unlucky you could he can have a have a, just a poor day um, but at this stage I do just think I do think we're going to go through and win the rest and it's just whether United can limp over the line or not um, but in terms of a bigger picture you know De Gea with that howler and then he can't you know it's normal for Ten Hag to come out and back him publicly but it is interesting that they are looking to offer him a new contract as well it looks
0: like yeah on a reduced wage isn't it but uh we don't know what that wage will be
1: yeah but but his wage is so high anyway i just think dynasties have been built upon fantastic goalkeepers but modern day goalkeepers and you know it's the starting point for everything else and and even when joe hart was was playing for england and a great shot stopper Pep was ruthless with him you know with Liverpool when we needed to spend big on on a key player we did it with Alisson and we got it right Arsenal with Ramsdale it looks like they've got that right and I just think it's so important and if you're if you're being ruthless with your ronaldo's and you're being you you you've got this philosophy to stick by and and this sort of Dutch style of play potentially that you want to build up towards, but you need to have the right players to do it, you have to make sure that the recruitment is, is spot on and part of that is just getting rid of De Gea.
0: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways Arsenal is a bit of a blueprint for United in terms of how how ruthless Arteta and Eddie were in uh in resetting the Arsenal squad. Uh not just in goalkeeper. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously Burn Leno has gone to Fulham and done really, really well. Uh, Everyone loved Leno when he was at Arsenal, when Emery was conceding all these shots every time against bad teams. Uh, Leno's shot-stopping was incredible. Uh, That ability to play out of the back with your goalkeeper is pretty crucial for good teams now, isn't it? When I've been watching Everton and thinking in the Gareth Southgate kind of mindset, Uh, Comparing Pickford to Ramsdale, just the amount of times I see Pickford just boot out for a throw in, and then immediately the pressure just comes back right on Everton.
1: Yeah, 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 and and you're able to build sustained possession from any situation because because you could be close to losing it. You recycle, you go backwards. Even if you're getting squeezed, you can go all the way back to the keeper, and then with your keeper two centre-backs that have split and potentially, you know, full-backs that have gone high or maybe drifted inside, whatever the, the plan is, you can use the keeper to play through that and, and use sort of numerical advantage because of your goalkeeper. You know, you you can only have 10 players applying pressure, but you can have 11 players receive the ball, right? Right. You're, you're if if you're if you're the defending team 10 of your players can go and can go and put pressure on the opposition because your keeper can't just run out of his box and, and start pressing the striker so you're always 11v10 if your keeper can play and that's not to say you start sticking them up top but the point being that no matter how high they squeeze they can't squeeze with the keeper too so you'll always have a spare man if you're able to use your goalkeeper and that seems so simple in sort of the modern the modern age if you if you watch essentially the the top two teams in your division and you're a fan of those clubs it seems so normal but yeah it's such a starting point to then go and be successful or or to then go and dominate possession because whatever happens you can reset go back to your keeper and even if they put the squeeze on and throw maybe two forwards, two strikers who are who are pressing your centre-backs and, and go up and put pressure on the keeper, you're still sort of 3v2 against them to play out or you use the full-backs or you can drop it when the pressure comes in, you can drop it on a sixpence to the full-back who's gone high and it's high and wide, it's beating all of the pressure, you know? Um, so it just seems odd to me that, that Ten Hag after being so ruthless with Ronaldo is, then isn't prepared to be so ruthless with De Gea and look there's still plenty of time and we'll see but they might still bring someone in but if they want to dominate all facets of the game you can't do that with De Gea you can't in the same way that you can't do it with Lloris you can't do it with you know top quality goalkeepers but you, you can't do it with them
0: yeah and it's not like De Gea's shot stopping has been outstanding this season I'm on on one mob looking at goals prevented this season, and uh, David de Gea is twelfth with minus two point six. And I think this is his best season in three years or something. I was re- i I I saw the
1: the XGA and and the sort of like save well how he's been performing against how he should have been doing essentially, and I think it was his best season for the past three or four years, maybe.
0: Oh no, really? Since start of last season, no. Premier League player has made more errors leading to an opposition goal in all competitions than De Gea.
1: And Ten Hag threw around in his post-match presser, he threw around the the clean sheet stat and he said, well, look, we wouldn't be there without him. But yes, but clean sheets are a hard thing to go by to then isolate it all down to De Gea. It's also the structure that he's put in place in the system and what sort of chances they're giving up. He, ultimately we know for years now that he's been consistent he's had consistent howlers and it's like oh well it, the, the rest of his game can sort of it, it doesn't matter as much because he's such good shots off but like the reality is that for a number of
0: years now he hasn't actually been overperforming on that side of his game yeah and you mentioned the clean sheets thing like it reminds me of uh Petr Cech winning the Premier League Golden Glove with Arsenal and it, uh it's not like Petr Cech was some resounding success at Arsenal and something that Arsenal should be building, building for in the future. Like it's, it definitely needed replacing. Uh, even if we did keep a lot of clean sheets, uh, it's just just more to it, isn't there? Uh,
1: and but the view on goalkeepers as a whole is just quite interesting, isn't it? Because depending on where you are in the league and who you're playing for, very very different things are asked of you, and um, my my flatmate, basically this season, he never really liked football. Okay, this season he's got into football partly from living with me and just being brainwashed into it, and having nothing to talk about if you if you don't want to talk about that, and partly from FPL. He's loved that side of things. He's loved playing FPL, and and he's been following it all. But he will always be like, "Oh, so how could how good's this keeper?" And I'm like, "Well, he's great." But if you took him out of this environment and put him in a team where he's being asked to play more than save but also he still has to be called upon in those big moments when he's had nothing to do because he's not busy you know you, you don't know that he's going to do it Um. so yeah goalkeeping as a whole is a, is an
0: interesting one to judge with metrics isn't it I'm trying to guess the goalkeeper was it Leno?
1: I can't even remember who you the remember? keeper was. Is it, to be honest, most games we we watch together, he'll ask me how I would rate this uh, that goalkeeper um, compared to others. We're also doing our team of the season. It's up on the whiteboard in the living room. Um, oh, yeah, it's not finished yet. We're about halfway through. We've got no centre backs picked,
0: and I'm the season's not over, so I guess that's well fine. exactly
1: exactly so it's fine. Uh, but we're also debating uh, on the last after the the last. Uh, Episode of this season, I'll I'll run you through it. Um, but there's strong debates going on at the moment surrounding Salah, <laughs> as you could imagine.
0: Oh, no, really? Well, because Salah didn't make your team of the season, and since then, I think he scored in scored the winner in both Liverpool's last game. Is that right? Yeah. Since uh, last week,
1: uh, the the thing for me is is if we if we nick top four, he goes in, right?
0: Instead of Saka.
1: But then I was saying I was saying that we push Saka to the left, but that's being cheeky.
0: <laughs> I think Martinelli's been better than Saka this season, anyway. I, I, okay. I'm always a Martinelli guy over Saka, uh, even last season.
1: Okay, well, can I play him as a right-sided centre mid as a as the right-sided eight? I've got Edigar in there. Saka. This is a debate for another day, but yeah,
0: play play Saka left back. Actually, that was a, a dead spot, wasn't it? In our well, our I teams. yeah, we could do. I I did I did think that left backer. Um but yeah it, it's it's very true what you're saying about uh the goalkeepers as well. Like, I feel like I'm just looking at Melieo and uh he's his uh goals conceded thing is at, like minus 13. <laughs> and like it, the opinion of him seems to have changed quite drastically like over the last half a season as well, I think. I feel like people are more optimistic about him being a young exciting player like playing at the age that he is in the Premier League. And the same goes for Bazuni, who's at minus 20, goals prevented. Uh, you know, he's like the first choice for Ireland, isn't he? Uh,
1: yeah, and, and, and you know, hot prospect, and and looked really good previously. It looked like a proper coup from Southampton to get hold of him, and it still might be. But I think, yeah, Melier is the... is the big one, I suppose, really. Because he, over he, he's not done anything different. It's just been the the amount of unforgivable mistakes has has just compounded. I don't think the rates really gone up too much, although they were probably a bit more open and therefore certain things maybe looked worse. Maybe, but I don't think I don't think he has particularly got much worse. Everything that he's been doing, we kind of knew he had in him. We were just expecting it to kind of not be there forever. And it's kind of like after six months of the season, everyone's kind of just a bit like bored of it now and being like yeah no well he must be bad because he just keeps doing it it's like well yeah but he he was always doing he always had howlers in him Um, how forgiving do you want to be at the end of the day is the question and if you get relegated for it then yeah fair enough you can't be that forgiving because it's a big issue
0: it's just such a big decision to replace your goalkeeper and uh, there's been rumours about uh, Kelleher moving from Liverpool and he's someone that is like barely played in at a high level first team and uh everyone is like really really positive about him but I do think if you put him in one of those teams it would be a bit it'd be a bit more realist I think I think it's it, you know he's always done well when he's played for Liverpool but yeah it's cup games he
1: can score a good pano though um and Kepa can't so maybe he is worth more than Kepa um he can't be sold for less than eighty-five mil or whatever, uh, if he does go. Um, but no, I think I think just bit serious now, just, just the pure amount of minutes that you that you then have to rack up, and the amount of shots you're facing and things like that, just the, the 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 stats can quickly look bad. But at the same time, they can quickly look good if you're facing a lot of chances, but they're all fairly comfortable and they're sort of low XG. You can you can look great. Because you're busy, but but the defence is maybe shipping shots, but poor quality shots. So you, you look busy, but also competent. Um, there's so many sort of sides to it.
0: It's it's very fickle with goalkeepers because they don't get rotated. And either you're the goalkeeper for your team or you're not. And there comes a point where the teams have to make the tough decision to try a different goalkeeper. Like we've seen with Brighton, like we've seen with Leicester. Uh, And and just to go full circle on the goalkeepers,
1: like you said, with the fickle side of things, going back to De Gea in that West Ham game, ultimately, you can look at the four defenders surrounding um, Ben, Ben Rama as he carries the ball. Nobody does anything to stop the shot, to bring him down, to go and win the ball, anything. So, although it's an absolute howler from De Gea, they're still... Issues up the chain and and, and problems there that, that should it should have been nipped in the bud and dealt with quicker. If Fernandinho is playing in that midfield, he doesn't get the shot off. If Rodri is playing in that midfield, he doesn't get the shot off. If Fabinho is playing in that midfield, he doesn't get the shot off. I'm not saying it would be a great tackle that any of them put in. Fabinho would probably definitely be getting booked in the process. Fernandinho wouldn't be because he had the uh, the art of hacking someone to the floor whilst, whilst they're running into a dangerous position and and not getting booked but you know there were still issues further up um and that's been injuries and and sort of a, a number of factors in creating defensive frailties i suppose for united but there's lots of ways that goal can be prevented right it's 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 it's
0: a one man leading a a attack. Speaking of counter-attacks, uh, one very exciting game this week that we have to talk about is uh, Brighton-Everton. I watched the first half of this, which was just one of the most exciting first half halves I've seen in a long time.
1: Zerbi got diced, hey?
0: Yeah, hot off their 6-0 victory over Wolves. Brighton kind of got schooled a bit, actually. Uh, what Brighton have done really well this season is uh, this kind of playing out from the back that we've spoken about where you kind of lure the, the press, press and you you rotate everyone you you twist around in, to get all these spare men in these little pockets and then you can quickly progress the ball forwards what, what Everton did under Deitch is they just didn't press at all they <laughs> they were this 4-5-1 five, five, kind of thing uh, really deep and uh, and then Brighton were just pushing like really really high up and uh, because Everton scored in like 30 seconds it becomes such an awkward position for Brighton in how you play uh, how you respond to that uh, I don't know what I, you know, their their tactics might have been what they wanted to do originally but I think maybe being 1-0 down you go instinctively going a bit more attacking just from the players maybe um, but it just created all these situations where Brighton were not knowing how to how to uh, attack, really. They were playing it to the left a lot through Matoma and just floating these crosses in to the back post and not really doing very much. Um, the Everton defence was obviously brilliant and uh, it was it was counter-attacking, but it wasn't um, like boring. It wasn't route one. Everton would win the ball and then very quickly do these really great attacks. Lots of uh, quick passes, like McNeil and Awobi were really good at dribbling. Uh Cavaloon was great and uh it should have been more in the first half. They've got Iwobi and McNeil who are not great uh great players with end products, I would say. Um and it just got worse and worse at Brighton where there were all these like two V twos from the halfway line because Brighton were just pushing everyone into attack and the more goals that go in for Everton, it's like what what did Brighton do next? Um, so I thought it was a really interesting game because it showed such like a such an efficient way to beat Brighton. And I think next season, I wonder if teams can just like do exactly what Everton are doing. Like how did Brighton adapt from this? So, do you have any thoughts on on this at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think I think that's a beautiful rundown that you've just given there, Sam. <laughs> Um, no, and in terms of Brighton and how Desobry, you know, his style is, it's I've seen a lot of things and a lot of sort of articles about how they're creating counterattacks by luring pressure. So rather than turning the ball over and then having, you know, if we think about what a counterattack actually is, it's because you've won the ball off the opposition. So the opposition have exposed themselves because they have thrown bodies forward to attack, right? Now, Brighton are creating artificial counterattacks where they're not winning the ball, but they're luring the press onto them so that the the opposition throws, you know, overcommits to the press, but that's exactly what they want. And they're they're playing into their hands to be able to then change tempo. So you often see centre backs for Deserbi putting their foot on top of the ball. Um you know, uh, sort of playing backwards, getting the centre-backs come quite narrow even, whereas normally if you're looking to play through a team, you would look to split them and go wider, but actually they come quite narrow and close together, so there are all of the triggers and signs there that you can go and press the ball, even the foot on the ball, the idea of the ball being stuck under the foot rather than out in front ready to be played. But obviously if that's all part of the plan, then you're you're aware of it, it's not the case of being a mistake. But the first thing on that is it's quite funny someone who someone as myself who's come through like coaching courses and like um, just different bits of information on how to coach and stuff and, like that would all be seen as wrong you know in quotation I'm doing air quotation marks there but the idea of the embracing that and using that as a way to create these artificial counterattacks where you're not countering through possession one and the team being exposed because they've just lost the ball but the, the opposition team actually being exposed because they've over committed to the press, seeing what they think are triggers, getting it wrong, and being played through, right? And so the first sign that they had, Everton had no interest in pressing is the fact that they're sitting in a 4 5 1, right? Because they completely outnumbered Calvert Lewin if he goes to try and hunt the ball down. So they're giving Brighton that settled possession. But if they were to progress it, they're denying anything in those deeper areas because they've got three centre midfielders, they've got the flat back four, and they've got wide players covering the full backs as well. So that sort of... Rafa Benitez's blanket or whatever, if you press high, you could, you might have a warm chin but cold feet, and if you sit low, you've got cold feet but... No, you've got warm feet, sorry, but, but a cold chin. That was terribly timed... Uh, bit in there I think because it just completely frees me off but the point is is this only works if, if you've got ball carriers who can get you up the pitch quickly but without it just being direct long ball hit and hopes right which you've got in McNeil and in Iwobi um, and then if you can be fluid from there it gives you a great basis to be defensively solid and also not mean that you're completely blunt at the other end and Calvert-Lewin it's had a lot of injuries but he does give you a presence and and somebody to as a focal point to play off but i think it's not asking him to just do ridiculous amounts especially if brighton are over committing anyway then maybe they're not he's not completely isolated but also you've got ball carriers like a woby and and um mcneil carrying the ball forward so that then when they do play into calvert lewin they can continue and, and, and be close by because they're not just smashing it into him from miles away and now it's deal with this and hold it up until we get there but it's carry it, then give it then get it back. So um yeah, that would be my rundown of it. I've just I've just Googled staccato as well. Uh performed with each note sharply detached or separated from the others. Sort of like Brighton's possession style at times of slowing the tempo and then pouncing through the
0: thirds. I like the idea of being deliberately bad. I think that's something that I've I've tried before. And uh I don't remember if it works
1: or not. What, in five aside? Is that are you passing off some five aside performances as deliberately <laughs> bad?
0: I, I think I tried this a couple of times. And I think it worked. Because I'm I'm pretty bad at dribbling, like I'm not a great dribbler. I would really open up my body kind of a bit slowly. I might, might have tried this, like, twice. <laughs> but uh, you, you're, you're slower when you open up your body. Like, is obviously you're going to pass it wide, and then you, like, inside foot take it to the left. So yeah, it's yeah, the disguise, do, but, but it's, it's the
1: disguise, isn't it? It's the disguise, and, and I suppose it's where disguise meets... Disguise is many things in football, right? Because it's, it's given the eyes and... and, and your body shape is screaming out that you're going to play down one side. I mean, Busquets is the master of it, but your, your body language is screaming at the, the person pressing you that they've got you because you can only go this way and still being able to find a way to maneuver and chop out of it because of your coordination, because of your balance and the fact that you can really sell a direction and just spin out of it so naturally that, it was all intended all along. Um, and actually, I've been watching a lot of Busquets compilations today because he's announced that he's leaving Barca and I saw him send Milner for a hot dog twice in the same game. Um, and, and it's just, you know, pressure versus possession will always be, especially in this modern age, right? Possession versus Pressure basically dictates who will dominate the football match and then it's just who takes the chances after that and I think this ties into the Man City Real Madrid game of last night actually which was something we wanted to talk about because I don't watch much Real Madrid but whenever I watch Real Madrid it's because it's against Liverpool and it's either in it's in the Champions League usually in the final and we we haven't had that number at all but because they, they're so good on the ball, and they're so technically sound and proficient all over the pitch, that pressing them doesn't actually work. Because Modric will receive the ball with three players around him in his own box, and he doesn't care. And, uh, and he very rarely gets caught. And really, what normally happens is he finds a way through or he finds Cruz with a bit of time or he finds someone with a bit of time who can just have that bit of invention that completely breaks the, the press. But when they break the press, the next pass is is the right pass. And it not only breaks the press, but it kills the press and it, it kills the other team because they're now totally exposed. Um, and that was the big interesting point from from last night's Real Madrid City game was it was always going to be if you play against Man City at the moment in the form they're in you're going to suffer without the ball at times you're obviously going to suffer but it's what you can do when you get it and that sounds so obvious but the reason Real Madrid have been so good at winning Champions Leagues for so long I think is just because they can be completely dominated completely dominated for maybe 20 minutes but when they get it And you think you're safe, and you go and squeeze Modric and you or Cruz or whoever it is, Camavinga at left back, who just calmly beats a bit of pressure, and now Vinicius Junior is free and just running with acres to run into. They're so good at having big moments and surviving long enough to 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 end up killing you. You know,
0: I don't have a lot to say about Real Madrid, um, to be honest. Do they? Uh, do they have Raúl? Is he still there? Is this you memeing me here? Uh, Pepe,
1: the uh, you... Pepe play. Uh, don't Did you Pepe start? Play last You're play? just not used to the old Champions League. Fabio Contral. You're an Arsenal fan. You don't know who Real Madrid even are. They don't exist in 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 your realms of competition. you don't. Do you have more to say about Real Madrid, or not? I think they go through. You know, I think they go through. Because I think that City will dominate the ball, but I don't think they'll. I just think Real Madrid can just stay in there. Courtois is just a good enough keeper. He makes everything look so comfortable, and I think they can just stay in games long enough to to have time to win them. As in, they'll stay in the game long enough by being defensively sound, and and even when they're being dominated, they they look okay. Even like Man City's robots couldn't do it. And uh, and so I think I think uh, I think this one's in the hands of the footballing gods, and I think the the footballing gods will shine their light upon Los Blancos. Uh,
0: I just saw that Raul is actually at Real Madrid still. <laughs> Whoops! Yeah, but doing uh, what? I didn't know that. He's the Castilla manager. Oh okay. But he didn't. Last time he played for Real Madrid was two thousand and ten. So uh, a bit worrying that you thought I might not have been memeing about that well I thought Um, well yeah
1: but I thought you meant like some kind of director of football thing at first Um, yeah it went over my head a little bit
0: that's fine that that Um, one's on me
1: it's only 13 years ago
0: uh, one competition I will be talking about next week League 2 time League 2 is going to debut on the podcast isn't that exciting it's the League 2 playoffs this weekend they're starting. A Carl, uh, Carlisle in it? Carlisle Bradford. Leg one. We'll, we'll cover. M- maybe not, actually, if it's just the first leg. It's uh, Salford Stockport as well, so... Uh, the old Manchester boys mm. team could be going up again.
1: Up the Carlisle. I knew about Carlisle, actually, uh, be- being in the playoffs, uh, because... My friend's dad, who is a season ticket holder for Bristol Rovers, was uh, quite concerned yeah. about the away trip he would have to make if Carlisle did come up. So there you go. People are oh, quaking in their boots in League One, Sam. At fuel prices and obviously the uh, the Carlisle boys, more importantly.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the closest team to Carlisle in the, in the top four leagues, I think, is Preston. No, Sunderland's got to be close, it? Which is not it? Well,
1: Sunderland's the East Coast. True. So that's got to be quite a way. I'm
0: trying to think, how does geography work? I've Googled geography and Google... <laughs> that's the wrong thing. I don't think that's going to get you too many answers. When you, when you Google geography, it doesn't come up with the maps. Preston to Carlisle is an hour and a half. Sunderland is... An hour 36. Carlisle's far away, so similar, what we, isn't
1: it? is what we've worked out here.
0: I think Sunderland is closer on on miles, but further on minutes. Right. It's not got the M6 connection. Uh, so, okay. So we'll talk about League 2 soon. God, uh, I can't wait for that. The thing is, League 2 is actually kind of interesting, because I was going through the old Carlisle squads. And a lot of players pop up in the in the Premier League. People that I didn't even remember played for Carlisle. Like Liam Cooper was there, apparently. And now he's in the Premier League. Uh, so, I'll... I'll on, a,
1: on a personal note, actually, since you're doing some personal notes, I'm trying to get hold of Lyon tickets for when I'm uh, in Lyon. It's the last game of the season. Lyon. Ah. So uh, that could be. Uh, that could who be are fun. they playing? It's against uh, Reims.
0: Oh, uh, we're we'll still. Oh, yeah, of course. Balogun.
1: Wow, that, I didn't even think of that at the time. I just knew it was the date where we were we were there.
0: You could see Balogun as well. And, and the Leon players. <laughs> Probably more interesting. Yeah, I know mean, there's and, also uh, those. But uh, it Lyon seventh,
1: Ndombele, isn't it? Reims, Reims tenth. Well, is at Napoli now.
0: I can see oh, the ghost see. of Ndombele
1: Well, Lacazette isn't it? Did you just say Lacazette?
0: Top scorer, isn't he, in Liga? Oh,
1: is he? But they're seven. Better than Messi.
0: So. Well, we've got a lot, a lot coming up uh, in the Premier League as well. We've got Everton, Man City to look forward to to see if uh, Deitch can work some more magic on the potential Premier League winners. See if he can thwart that. Let's see if he can stop City, is the point. Uh, Okay. Lovely. We'll be back next week, Toby. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye, Sam.